One thing you'll, you'll notice in any good movie uh, about alien invasions is that the first thing that is always asked of aliens is, do they come in peace? It's one of those things that, of course, are not just important in alien invasion movies. They're also important, really, in life. What is a person's intentions? And it's really only when you know what a person's intentions are that you can begin to know whether this person can be trusted. I mention that because today I think the gospel lesson, uh, which stands at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, is a lesson that encourages us to really take uh, to heart what Jesus says his intentions are. To come to trust in Jesus for what he says he has come for and to find ways in which he can truly fulfill the mission that he's come for. I'd like to speak to you today, first of all, about core trustworthiness and love Jesus has for us, and secondly, to talk to you about the specific ways Jesus underlines at the beginning of his ministry uh, that he is meant to bring us freedom and to bring us a greater and more fulfilling and more flourishing way of life. So what do I mean as I begin to say about how Jesus' core goodness and trustworthiness and love for us? In a lot of ways, it probably is the sort of thing that duh is a given, right? Uh, what do you know about Jesus when, uh, when you ask a kid at Sunday school? Probably they'll say, well, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? True, very, very true. But it strikes me that one of the greatest problems we have as Christians today, even committed Christians, people who've been in the church all of their lives, is to really take this to heart in a way that affects our daily life. If you poll people across the world about whether or not they believe in God, it may surprise you to know that the vast, vast majority say they do. That's been true throughout all of history. The problem and the great challenge of faith is not, I think, the greatest problem uh, to believe that God exists. I think the greatest problem is to believe that God actually loves us and has our interests at heart. That's why it's so interesting that in Luke's gospel when he says, what's the first sermon that Jesus preaches? What's the first thing he does uh, when he comes to his hometown and announces the beginning of his ministry after Jesus has been baptized? He goes to be tempted in the desert, and then Luke says, this is what Jesus chooses to do. He goes to his hometown synagogue, and of all the different things he could read, he says, I want to read this passage from Isaiah. And the man stands up and gives it to him, which is the common practice even to this day in the synagogue where the uh, scriptures are considered holy, and so they're given to a person by a special uh, attendant. The attendant gives Jesus this, and then Jesus comes to say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after he sits down, he says, This scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing. Jesus says, if there's something you need to know about me as this entire ministry begins, it's this. I have been anointed by the Spirit of the Lord with this mission in mind, to bring good news to the poor, to bring release to captives, to recover sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, my core mission has your best interests and your flourishing at heart, and that is why I came. Now, as I said, that may be a self-evident truth for us, but I think if we're really honest with ourselves, it is one of the most challenging things for us to believe, because life can get us down, and Jesus can call to us to live certain ways of life that frankly are very difficult, and I think even the best of us and most faithful of us sometimes wonder whether that voice in our ear telling us to do what is right is really a voice that's helping us, or a voice that simply wants to add burdens. And one of the things that I noticed when I was a child uh, became a very different way of looking at when I became a parent. 
When I was a child in the early uh, childhood, you probably, if you remember your own childhood or you're a parent and have seen it, you'll know how often toddlers just don't take you at your word, right? <laughs> Why can't I have dessert? It tastes so good. You can have dessert only after you eat the healthy food on your plate. I know it as a parent, I'm saying it for their good, but that toddler certainly doesn't believe it, does he? gets uh, even more concentrated as you get a little bit older because what happens? When they're a little bit older, they don't want to go to bed at their bedtimes. Why do I have to go to bed now? I'm not tired. Well, because if you don't go to bed right now, tomorrow morning you're going to be a complete grouch. I never believe you. When I was a child, of course, what did I always uh, do? My parents turned off the light and said, no reading, it's time to go to bed, and I would keep a little flashlight under my pillow. When I hear their steps moving away and they go downstairs to do whatever parents do, I always assumed it was just fun stuff that they could do all night long. And I would be there with my little uh, tent uh, blanket uh, and reading under there and hoping that nobody sneaked up and hid their footsteps as they came up. Thankfully, we had a creaky staircase, so I could always tell when they're coming up to check, and I could close my eyes. As a teenager, of course, too, we find that even more challenging because we want to do things that sort of push the boundaries. We want to stay out late, and our parents say, no, there's a curfew, and what do we do? do when that happens? You just want to spoil my fun. You want to embarrass me in front of my friends. They get to stay out later than I do. So often in life, as we go through life, even when we need other people and need to trust them, there's a little voice in the back of our mind that says, the things you are telling me right now, you're telling me not because you care about me. You're telling me because, in fact, you want to damage me or add burdens to me. When I became a parent, it became much more clear how difficult a thing it is for this for children to overcome. And I often will tell my kids things, and I will tell them because I genuinely love them. And I look back to my parents' lives and realize all those times that I resented them, you know, they weren't perfect. Obviously, sometimes they made mistakes, but they genuinely loved me. I had the benefit of having parents who cared about me. And when they disciplined me, or even when they made mistakes, they did it with my best interests at heart. My life would have been an awful lot better if I actually took those things to heart and believed them. As adults now, of course, we don't have that same level of people telling us what to do. I mean, we have it in work. We have other boundaries that we have to follow. But there is one thing that consistently happens. I've got an active conscience. You know what our conscience is? It's not that we can never misunderstand what our conscience is saying, but our conscience really is kind of like a radio receiver. We sort of pick up what God is telling us about what's right and wrong, and we can listen to that, and sometimes it's loud and clear, and other times it isn't but it's there speaking to us. Think about your own life and think about the number of times where a voice came loud and clear saying, don't do that, don't say that, you're going to regret it. And instead of you saying, you know what, that's absolutely right, thank you. I know you have my best interests at heart. You switch off the receiver and you do the very thing you know is going to cause you grief. We do this all the time. And yes, sometimes it's because of habit. Sometimes it's because we don't hear the conscience speaking to us. But many times I suspect it's because of that little child having the same reaction to their parents. Maybe you don't really love me. Maybe what you're telling me is not for my own good, but simply because of some agenda you have for yourself. And how easy is it for us to believe that when it comes to Jesus? Because after all, we come to church and we are told a way to live. We say a confession each time we gather in which we acknowledge our sins. We are told through sermons and through the readings that we do and and through the prayers that there are certain ways that are better to live and other ways not. And often we're told really difficult things. We all know we're supposed to forgive other people, but have you ever had a person who has really hurt you 
and then try to forgive them, you will know it is not easy. Or how hard it is to keep your lip zipped when you have been vindicated after somebody disagreed with you, said you were wrong, it turned out for you to be right. My gosh, the hardest thing in the world is to bite your tongue when you want to say, I told you so. How damaging that is to relationships, how damaging it is to marriages, to your relationship with your kids. When we hear Jesus speaking to us saying, don't do this or do that, it is so easy to believe that he is like so many people in this world, proving themselves untrustworthy. And the scripture says, no, that's not. Why did Jesus come? To wag his finger at sinners? To smite those people who have turned away from God? No. The scripture says, and Jesus says, the first thing I want you to know before I set in my public ministry is this. God sent me, he anointed me, with this task in mind, to seek out those who are poor, those who are in captivity, those who are blind, and bring them good news and bring them freedom. That's what Jesus wants for us. We turn to Christ and he speaks to us. It's not because he wants to whip us into shape and make us toe the line. It's because he loves us and he wants his children to be free. Here's the big challenge we have whenever we hear passages like this. Do we really believe what you said? We come to trust in God when we take small steps of trust and say, Jesus, I will listen to what you're saying, and I will believe you want what's best for me, even though this is tough. He really does love us. And his entire life, and especially uh, summed up in him pouring out his life on the cross, tells us that this is a God who loves us and is willing to do anything that his children might be free. So there's the first thing. The great underlying challenge of all Christian life is summed up here, that he has brought good news to the poor. There's a couple of things that Jesus follows up on. He says, in general, I've been anointed to bring good news to the poor, uh, captivity uh, to be freed from, and, and people who are blind to see. But those specific things are things that I wanted to focus on. How Jesus says, my ministry that follows from my goodwill towards the people is to bring people who are captive into freedom, those who are blind into sight. And for many of us, I think it might be hard. Uh, we, we listen to Jesus say that he, uh, we talk about Jesus as the Redeemer. He came to free captives from prison. And although we know he's metaphorical uh, speaking here, not just literally prisoners, I think many of us scratch our heads and sort of think, well, I'm not actually captive. I'm not actually in prison, am I? In fact, Jesus has an interchange with the Pharisees who are religious leaders, and Jesus tells them this, that he's brought uh, them to captivity, and, and they say, we've never been slaves. We're children of Abraham. We're born free. What exactly are you saying? Jesus is, in fact, saying to them that there is a captivity to live under, but they are simply unwilling or unable to see it. In reality, I think Jesus speaks to us just as he spoke in the ancient world where literal slavery was was an ever-present threat in the world and evil. He also speaks about the metaphorical and spiritual slavery that all of us live by. And if we want a glimpse into what that slavery can look like, I was thinking about an example of this, and one of the best examples I thought was when I was actually here at the church a couple of years ago, and, and uh, we invited a speaker, a pharmacist, to come and speak to us a little bit about uh, the danger of opioids and overdoses. So opioids are uh, um, many different types of, of, of drugs, but um, particularly things like pills, like Oxycontin and those sorts of things. More and more people, even in our own city, are using them. And in some communities in Canada and the United States, they've been devastated by this. So he was speaking a little bit about overdose present, pre prevention and also how to treat a person. If a person is clearly having an overdose, what do you do? And it was really, really helpful. Uh, and he spoke, it was mainly geared towards parents to look for signs uh, of drug use in their kids. And 
But one of the things that was most interesting about that was the question and answer that we had afterwards, because people asked him about where people come to be, um, to be addicted to these things. Because sometimes people use drugs recreationally. How is it that a person becomes an addict, and, and how is it you treat them? And he said, you know, I really do my best not to judge people. My job as a pharmacist is to save their lives and to point them towards treatment without judging them, because in my experience working with uh, people who are addicted, he said it's almost always the case that what addiction really is is it the pain management that's gone wrong. Here a person's got something that's broken inside of them, something that hurts them, maybe a physical pain, maybe it's an emotional, spiritual wound. But whatever it is, they use this thing and they lean on it because it's the thing that I need in order to be healed of this wound that is festering inside of my soul. And that always stuck with me because I realized how often it is that people that we would point to and say this person's an addict is in fact oftentimes a person who's addicted to freedom from pain. They're looking for something that helps them out of the pain. And they keep going to the same thing even though it's damaging because they're afraid there's nothing that can free them from the pain that lies underneath. Now that's an extreme example, a person who's addicted to drugs, but I think in fact that that is a, an example that is very applicable to many areas of life where we sabotage ourselves. You know, I've mentioned to you that a, a couple of years ago I was really interested in getting into better health and fitness and to eat better and was fairly successful for quite a while, but one of the things that really interested me in this, and this is just food, it wasn't using crack cocaine or something. But how often it is that when you want to improve yourself, you begin to realize how much you've actually been captive in the past. How often it was that I realized that when I was eating, it wasn't because my stomach was saying, you're low on nutrition, you need to get your blood sugar up. It was in fact not my stomach telling me this. What it was was some other part of me. It was my heart or my mind saying, you're really bored or you're really anxious or you're really feeling bad about yourself or you're really feeling sad or you're really feeling whatever. I need something that will cover this over. And so what would I often do? I'd often reach for the bag of chips or I'd, instead of hitting the treadmill, would go and hit the couch, right? How often we do these things, not because we're thinking it through and thinking, I'd like to do this. We're doing it because some compulsion grips us and says, you are in pain, you need to do something to heal it. And this happens so often, I see in pastoral ministry. I'm sure all of us know, uh, maybe it's not in food, it's in something else. Maybe uh, it's alcohol or I've often seen this too where it comes to relationships. We all probably know a person who is that, that person who just can't be alone. You know, and you think, you just got out of this toxic relationship. You need to sort of sit back and, and, and be comfortable with yourself. And then three days later, they've hooked up with somebody else. And you think, my gosh, you're, you're going from one bad relationship to the next. So often that's a kind of addiction, a compulsion, a slavery. Or think about times where you find it really difficult to stop criticizing others or find it really difficult to uh, be generous or to forgive. Or, so often these things, in fact, show the, the characteristics of addiction and slavery. When Jesus speaks to us about freeing the captives from prison, I think he's really looking into the heart of what trips people up again and again. Yes, there are things from outside, but so often what damages us most is our self-sabotage. The little thing inside of us that compels us to do something that digs a deeper hole instead of digging us out. So where do we turn? Where's our hope? Jesus says, look, your hope is me. You know, one of the things that doctors do when you go to them and you're saying, oh man, I've got, a, I've got a headache and I've got a fever and I'm feeling nauseous and I'm achy all over, can you do something? The doctor will say, well, you can take some Tylenol and drink some fluids, but that's all I can do. I can treat your symptoms, but I can't really heal you because you've got the influenza virus and that's what's causing it. And we think Jesus is like that and he says, 
uh, don't do this sin, don't do this sin, don't do this sin. No, he's not. He's saying there is something at work in you that is holding you captive and I came to free you. Like modern medicine, which can't cure the influenza virus, Jesus can come to cure this affliction, this desire for captivity that keeps pushing us down. And that is what he came for, to free us. Do not be afraid to bring to Jesus those things that make you ashamed when you find yourself wrestled down by them. Whether it's food or alcohol, relationship, whatever it is, Jesus is saying, I am someone who is safe to come to. Because my job is not to mock those who are captive. My job is to free those who are captive. It's actually why we say our confession of sin each time. Not to say, Jesus, uh, uh, please uh, uh, don't be angry at me. It's saying, Jesus, there is a thing in my life that is still holding me captive. Come and free me so that I might walk in newness of life. Here's the last thing. Jesus mentions not only captivity, he mentions blindness. How interesting it is that he chooses these two things. And I think that they're linked in a lot of ways. He says, I've come to bring recovery of sight to the blind. I think many times we're blind to the captivity inside of ourselves and the captivity we see in the world because we're afraid of what it might mean if we see it. One of the motifs throughout Jesus' ministry in the Gospels is particularly clear in John's Gospel where Jesus contrasts blindness with sight, darkness with light. There's a great passage in John chapter 9 where Jesus meets a blind man who is begging. And Jesus uh, uh, heals the man, but he doesn't do it right away. He says, go and wash in this pool of Siloam. And then he sees. But here's the interesting part of that story. He never gets to see Jesus, right? He's still blind until he goes to the pool. And then his blindness is taken away. And he knows it's Jesus' power that did it, but he doesn't know what Jesus looks like. The religious leaders don't like Jesus very much at this point because he's so critical of them. So they drag him into the synagogue and say, tell us all about it. This guy didn't really heal you, did he? Well, yeah, he did. Then they drag this man's parents and say, this guy wasn't really born blind, was he? And they say, yeah, he was. And so they get angry and they throw this man out of the synagogue because he refuses to denounce Jesus. And Jesus hears about it and he goes to find this man and he says, I heard what happened to you. And this man says, uh, who are you? And, and Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, who is this Son of Man so that I might believe in him? And Jesus says, that's, that's me. And so he believes in him. Here this man's faith trusted in Jesus, even though he had never actually seen him. And Jesus says, this man who is blind is the one who can see. Those guys, the Pharisees, who can see are in fact the ones who are blind. Why? Because this man had the insight to realize who Jesus was and to put his trust in him, and he was healed. How often it is that we look at our lives and we turn to all these things to try and fix the things that are broken inside of us. And Jesus says, I've come to, to set you free, but I've also come to give you the courage to have your eyes open to see the things that are really tripping you up. Jesus says, look, I love you. I've been anointed to bring you good news, so you don't need to be afraid to face the things that are genuinely broken inside of you. I'm not pointing these out to mock you, to crush you, to beat you. I'm telling you to look at these things so that you and I together, through my grace, can overcome them and free you. What's our challenge when we gather each Sunday? Our challenge when we gather each Sunday is to come and say, Jesus, open my eyes a little bit more to see the things you want me to see. But it requires what I started with. But we trust what Jesus shows us is there for our good and not simply to hurt us. He wants us to see the truth because the truth is what sets us free. The truth can be harsh. We can't face the truth by ourselves. We can face the truth and see it with open eyes when we know that the Lord of heaven and earth who lived for us in this world and who poured out his life for the sake of you and me and every person in this world 
that this is the one who's going to stand with us, walk with us through the dark valleys of life, even through the dark valley of the shadow of death. We don't need to fear evil because that good shepherd will be with us. So what does this passage tell us? You can trust the Lord because he loves you. And when he speaks to you, he does it for your own good. He came to set you free, so don't be afraid to bring your captivities to him so that he might break off the chains. And don't be afraid to say, Jesus, help me to see what needs to change in my life. Because I trust you, and I believe that what you show me will be for my own good, and the things that scare me will not overcome me if you are by my side. He came to bring good news and to proclaim the Lord's favor. And the Lord's favor for all of us is great. Let's lean into it and trust him so that we might grow and might be people who see and who live with freedom.